listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Every single answer to every single thing. Uh, but unfortunately, as I got older and I started to express some of these views that my dad had taught me when I was really young, I started to realize that, you know what? Not everything he told me was actually really true. Uh, there, you know, we were having this conversation at the dinner table the other day, and, and uh, we had seen like a granddaddy long leg or something. I was like, you know, that's the most poisonous spider in the world, but its mouth is too small to bite you or something like that. And, and, I, and I was like, wait a second. And my, and my wife was like, I don't think that's true. I really don't think that's true. And I was like, well, let me, let me look this up. And so I looked it up, and it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, you know, it's not completely 100% false. It's like venomous or something. No, it's not venomous. It's po- I don't remember exactly the way it goes. But anyway, all that to say, this was one of these truths that like, I had been told and by my dad. And I was like, he's my dad. So, of course, he's telling me something that's ab- absolutely correct. You have all these little dadisms. You know, you'd ask him about geography or history. History was a great one. He'd tell you all these really incredible stories from history, and then you realize later on, oh, wow, that was not correct at all, you know? If uh, this is something to do with maybe like accounting or finance or something, he's a pretty solid go-to reference. But if it's some other things, probably not necessarily the best. And so when I say this about technology, it's because now we all have Google in our pockets. And so for us now, whenever he starts to say things, we're just like, I don't know. Let me check that really quick. And so for those people who love being the smartest person in the room, sometimes technology can be kind of tough because it shows us that they're not necessarily the most reliable source for information. The passage we're looking at today is, is really kind of about this. It's about if someone testing if someone is a, a reliable source for truth or not. Testing if someone is a reliable source for truth or not. And so let's look at this passage together, 1 John 4, starting with verse 1. It says this, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out unto the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. So the context of this is we've been going through, I'm not going to spend too much time because we've been going straight through uh, this letter, and so we don't need to spend too much time on it, but as we know, the Apostle John wrote this letter uh, to people in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, several churches there, and he's really trying to, to reinforce for them the core of what Christianity is, the belief that Jesus, as Scripture reveals him, as a historical person who died, who rose from the dead, who was human being fully, who was God fully, is the source of strength and life for us and gives believers the ability to love God and to love people. 
And so he's establishing in this passage we're looking at the preeminence of Jesus really as the source of whether or not someone is a true teacher or a false teacher. And more immediately, in chapter 3, which we looked at last week, we saw that the marks of someone who is a true believer, the marks of someone who is a true believer, and one of those marks is that the marks of someone who is a true believer is that they have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God allows them to both teach the truth correctly and also allows them to try or to test the truth when other people are speaking to them. And so if you're a believer, one of the marks of being a Christian is that you're able to be discerning when it comes to the truth. Now, like a lot of things, when it comes to the abilities that we have as Christians, this is something that we need to discipline. This is something that we need to apply. It's not something that just magically happens, okay? So we're going to talk today a little bit about how we can test and try the spirit of teaching that we hear and the spirit of teachers that we hear, how we should do that and how we necessarily maybe shouldn't do that, okay? So what we're going to learn from this passage, to just break it down very clearly and just summarize the message in one short bit, is that believers are to test teachers and teachings by looking for the preeminence of Christ and consistency with biblical revelation in them. Okay? So believers are, are to test teachers and teachings by looking for the preeminence of Christ in those teachers and teachings and by their consistency with what the Bible tells us, basically. So the first thing that we're going to see um, is that all Christians are to test the spirit of teachers and their teaching. Now, one of the things that we see from John's letter is that he's writing these things. This is something we need to remember because a passage like this can, uh, can seem like, okay, well, this is not like practically applied to my life on an everyday basis. So I want to remind us that in, in, back in the first chapter in verse 4, he told us he's writing these things to the people so that their joy can be full, that their joy may be full. And people in general are looking for happiness and joy in their life. And the world around us, the culture that we live in, has plenty of answers for how you can find joy. Now, at best, the answers that the world is going to give us are going to be incomplete on how we can find our joy. Maybe you can find some happiness there, but they're not complete unless they're in Christ. Uh, and at worst, the answers that that world is going to have us are destructive and actually joy-robbing. Okay? So these answers that the world has for us are how we're going to find happiness and how we're going to find joy in our life, at best, incomplete, apart from the revelation of Scripture. At worst, they're going to be actually destructive and joy-robbing for us. Um, but as Christians, we can see very clearly, and what John is giving us very clearly, is this is the way that our joy can be full. And so what we're seeing here in this passage is how do you know if something is going to be joy-giving, if something is consistent with what is revealed in Scripture, or if it is not. How to be a discerning Christian is what we're seeing today, okay? So the Christian is actually commanded to test and be discerning. The issue is that naturally, human beings are not very good at being discerning. That's because we have this thing called the flesh, which causes us to, to be blinded to the truth, which causes us to, at times, be actively rebellious against the truth. And the reality is, if we just kind of float through life, 
we're going to, to believe falsehood. We're going to believe uh, untruths. We're going to mess up our lives. We're going to destroy our lives. We're not going to find the joy and happiness that we're looking for. Thankfully, in Christ, if you're a believer, as we saw last week, you've been given the Spirit of God, so now you have the ability to actually pursue this joy that's given to us in Jesus. And so we now, even though we are not naturally very good at this, now we have the ability and the knowledge and the spirit that we need to actually be a discerning person and to find this truth and this joy that we're looking for. So unfortunately, a couple of ways that we kind of go astray sometimes as we're looking for truth or looking for this joy, sometimes we, we, some people tend to fall too far on the side of emotion or what makes them feel good. And then other people tend to go too far on the side of the intellect, on just the mind, and what uh, seems logical or rational to them. Uh, and then we have another category of people who just don't want to think about it at all. Maybe that's you. Okay, There's some people out there who are just like, ah, I don't really care. I'm just going to kind of go through life, and whatever makes me happy is great, and I'm not going to try to think about it too much. But uh, on one side, we have, you know, like... Pentecostal, uh, liberation theology, um, this, uh, it's very emotive, very feeling. On the other side, we have both liberal or reform types, a lot of times very heady, very intellectual. And the problem is if they're kept separate from each other, we end up having something that's not necessarily clearly biblical because scripturally we have something that is both uh, spirit and doctrine, that is both experience and emotion and clear definition. I like to think about it this way. I think about a powerful locomotive, nice big steam engine or something like that. Now, if that nice big steam engine is running and now all of a sudden there's no tracks, you're going to have a really big mess. You're going to have a really big accident on your hands. But on the other hand, if you just have the tracks, but you have no locomotive at all, then it, you, know, you just have an annoying thing that you have to drive over in your car, um, basically, and you know, stop at for no good reason. So what, the, what I'm trying to say is, is the, the heart behind it, the emotion, the feeling behind it is like the, the power of God in our lives. That should be real. That should be evident. But at the same time, we need the doctrine. We need the definition to, to get us from one place to another without just causing a big mess of everything. So we need both of these things. Now, in our own camp, uh, the side that we're typically on. I think we a lot of times see this pharisaical kind of bent, pharisaical kind of bent where we're um, sort of like whitewashed tombs a lot of times um, is a tendency that we have to be, uh, have the knowledge right, to have the definitions right, to have, to understand the systematic theology, to know all the right teachers, the right quotes. But at times we can have a tendency to be a little dead inside, a little devoid of that passion, that love. So we all though have certain uh, measures that we use to measure with. For some people, it may be their theology. You know, we have a certain set of theological beliefs, and we measure everything by this certain set of categories and beliefs. Or maybe we measure things by our feelings. Oh, this, that just doesn't sound right. Or that just doesn't feel right. Or I just don't like what that says or what that means. Or other people may just have one particular teacher that they really like. And so if a problem comes along, it's, well, what does John Piper say about that? Or, you know, what, is, what did Charles Spurgeon say about that? Or what did Jonathan Edwards say about that? Or, you know, whatever popular teacher you might like. Some people are incredibly inclined not to be discerning because they don't want to be judgmental. You know, they're nice people. They're like, well, I don't want to tell somebody that they're wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those critical people who's just 
condemning every teacher I hear unless they're my particular favorite teacher. Other people are opposed to it because they don't really like the idea of theology. But if you understand church history, and you, even if you don't understand all of church history, but you just look back at the New Testament, you see that doctrine is important, and it's important because it reveals truth about God and about the world, and we need to believe right things about God and through the world. We need those tracks so that we don't make a mess out of things, our lives, the lives of others. A final group are people who are like kind of just opposed to being discerning, uh, opposed to discerning truth from error, because they're very just super spiritual men. And they think that, you know, this kind of like doctrine and theology is a little beneath their spiritual experience. And so we really have like people who are kind of in this mystical sort of camp and people who are more like children of the Enlightenment, where everything's got to be rational, fit into perfect little boxes, fit into perfect categories. When the reality is we really need kind of neither of those and both of those at the same time. Like neither one is perfect by itself. What we need is the Bible. What we need is the revelation of God in Scripture, which is sometimes full of passion and emotion and still is very clear in definition and very clear in doctrine. Okay, we need both of these things. Um, we're doing a, a biblical theology class on a Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Love to have anybody there. A little plug, quick plug for that. Um, but one of the things that we're trying to see through that study and through that class is that sometimes, when, even if, if we're going with, uh, you know, the best systematic theology textbook that you can look at, or the best sermon, d different ways of looking at things, there's going to be shortfalls in anything that is not Scripture. There's going to be shortfalls in anything that is not the clear revelation from God. And so regardless of how solid and how good a particular statement of faith or creed or systematic theology textbook is, it's not the revealed inspired word of God. And so for us as Christians, the, the word has to be the standard if we're going to be discerning. So at the end of the day, regardless of our objections or our lack of desire or our lack of, of you know, I just don't really like thinking about these things, we're commanded, we see in this passage in verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So we're called commanded to test the scripture. I mean, to test the teachings that people, that, that people give. Whether it's something we're reading in a book, whether it's something we're hearing a pastor say from a, a pulpit, whether it is something that we're, a message that we're getting and receiving from a, a movie or a book that we're reading, regardless of what it is, we're called to test it according to a standard that's laid out in scripture. And John's going to be very explicit about what that standard actually is. So, the, and, and that kind of brings to what the, to our, our second point, which is that the most important test in all of this is the preeminence of Christ. The most important test in all of this is the preeminence of Christ. So there's several false tests, okay? There's several false tests that Christians like to use. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of those. So, so one, there are people who, who want to go to a teacher who is, is performing some kind of a miracle, maybe, a uh, miracle man. Uh, maybe they're healing some people, or maybe they're, you know, uh, performing some incredible show or display or some kind of a thing. And so they're like, oh man, they have to, they have to be from God. They have to be from God. But that's not what the scripture teaches us. There's another kind where it's all about the, that person has just got so much passion. They have so much emotion. And so they must be from God. 
But as we said before, that alone is not going to be enough. I remember when I was growing up in you know, typical Southern Baptist youth group, uh, and me, like little introverted uh, middle school guy, I remember going to these like youth camps. And they, you know, they'd have the, the, the full band, and they'd be really good, and everybody would be just so expressive in their worship and their hands. And I'd just look around and be like, gosh, man, I must not be, I don't think I'm very godly. You know, I don't think I'm very spiritual because these people are, they're into it. And then I remember going to college, and now I'm coming from what was actually, I found out, pretty sheltered little Baptist youth group, to now we're with people from all kinds of different denominations, and we would go to this, like, interdenominational, like, worship service. And now I got people who are ripping their clothes and sprinting up and down the aisles and falling on the floor speaking in tongues. And we got people on the side having communion with Oreos and milk. And we got all this stuff going on. And I'm just like looking around like, man, I really must not be. These people, they got something that I don't have. I think there must have been something in their vacation Bible school that I missed. Um, and so you look around and you see all this passion and emotion. But what you realize as time goes on is that neither just having all the intellectual answers or having all the passion and emotion is going to be enough to sustain you. Neither one of those is going to be enough to sustain you. Neither one of those things is going to last. You see the trajectory of people's lives, and you realize that just the passion and emotion, just the feeling, or just the collection of right answers, neither one of those by itself is going to be enough to sustain someone through life. What's going to be enough to sustain someone is Christ. Is Christ. Um, Even uh, another... Another one that we run into going from church to church is there are people who, who believe it's just like, well, experience and time in the church. You know, like time served is what gives them that wisdom and discernment. Uh, but, you know, spending 50 years in a church without any really solid teaching is not going to really make you very discerning. So it's not just about time served in a church either. So what is it? What is it? And, and like we said, the most important test is the preeminence of Christ. I love this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, The Spirit always glorifies Christ. He is always in the center. He is always given the preeminence. And the true prophet is not the man who talks about experiences and visions and what he has done and seen, but about Christ. It's about Christ. It's so such a beautiful statement. Don't listen to preachers and teachers who are spending time talking about themselves and promoting themselves. I, I get nervous sharing little tiny anecdotes from my life to kind of make fun of myself because I like I don't want to spend any time talking about me because it's been ground into me so much. Um, but my wife tells me that if I don't do that sometimes, then you guys are going to all go to sleep and be bored. So, you know, we'll throw something in every now and then. So if you don't like it, you can blame her. But, but hopefully... The only message you take away is not, oh man, you know, he's a really funny person, or oh man, I really like that one thing he said about himself. Hopefully, the message that is very clear and what you take away is that apart from Christ, there's nothing. Apart from the clear teaching of Scripture, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is nothing. So we don't listen to teachers and preachers who spend time talking about themselves or even spend time talking about their favorite teacher or their favorite pet theology or their favorite belief system and don't spend time glorifying and expounding the great truths of Scripture, the gospel, and Jesus Christ. And what we see in verse 2 is what must be very clearly confessed. And so bringing your attention back to chapter 4, verse 2, we see what this clear test of Scripture is. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So we see Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is how we know that someone is from God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Let's break this down a little bit more. So first we have Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus, not the Christ, Jesus Christ. This is both his human and his official spiritual name. This is his human name and the name he is is the Messiah. So this is fully God and fully man. There were false teachers in John's time who taught that uh, this was two beings, that there were two different distinct beings. There were other false teachers who taught that, that Jesus just had the spiritual uh, or the, you know, basically he was like a hologram, like he had a, you know, a spirit, but he wasn't a physical flesh and blood body. And of course, obviously, there were people who believed that he was just a man, who was just a teacher, who wasn't God, and who hadn't risen from the dead. And so John is very clearly telling them here, he's fully God, and he is fully man. He has two natures in one. Yes, he was God. He was God who was there before the foundations of the world. The world was created through him. He was leaving the glory of heaven to come to earth, but he was also fully man who could be hurt, who could be sad, who could be tired, who was baptized in real water by a real person, who was a friend and who had friends, who was a son, who was ultimately beaten and crucified and experienced real pain on our behalf. He was fully God and fully man. So Jesus Christ. And then we see the other part of that statement, Jesus Christ is come. He wasn't created. He wasn't born of flesh like you and I are born of flesh, but he was come from heaven, come from eternity, come from time past. He was fully God. There were people who were denying that he was God. There were people who already, we started saying that, well, it's just a conspiracy. He didn't really raise from the tomb. He uh, was some kind of, he was just a human being like everyone else, but he is God and the eternal Son of God. He is fully God, and he's come from glory to earth. So Jesus Christ has come. But then finally, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So even though he came from glory, he was born to a flesh and blood woman as a flesh and blood baby. And so the, the thing that's very difficult to wrap our minds around is that the fully God come from glory creator of the world is born into the form of a baby. But that should begin to express for us the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reality of what God did for you and me. So Jesus Christ has come in flesh. And there were those at the time who would deny his personhood, and yet he came very clearly in flesh. He was not a phantom body, as a lot of them taught. And even in his resurrection, even with his resurrection body, you remember with, with Thomas, that you could literally put your hand into his scars and feel those scars. And 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, I want you to understand, this is Paul speaking, I want you to understand that, that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So we see an echo in Paul of exactly what John is saying here. We see that consistency of witness across the, the New Testament, across the apostles, that uh, we have God in flesh in Jesus and that the Spirit of God in us teaches us to confess that Jesus is Lord. 
So that brings us to our third point, which is that doctrine and experience are measured by biblical revelation. Doctrine and experience are measured by biblical revelation. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the heart, uh, pierces to the bones of the marrow. Um, All Scripture is breathed out by God. We understand who Jesus is from the Scripture. John Stott said, True faith examines its object before putting its, before putting its trust in it. And the way that we're able to examine Jesus, to put our faith in him, is by seeing how he is revealed to us in God's word. If you see verses 4 through 6, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How are we able to overcome the spirit of Antichrist that he's talking about in verse 3? So in verse 3, he, he comes back to that theme, and he, he cycles back over and over on himself several times and connects different themes from chapter to chapter. And he'd already talked, and I believe uh, Pastor Jeff had talked about uh, chapter 2, the second part of chapter 2, where he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist in the world and how Antichrist is is anyone who's denying Christ, anyone who's working against Christ, anyone who's teaching something other than the gospel is, got this, is the spirit of Antichrist. And so he's bringing that forward to this passage to say, you overcome them, you're not duped by them, you're not fooled by them, you're not led astray by them because you have the spirit of Christ in you. And if you have the spirit of Christ in you, then you confess Christ and your hope is in him. And he's going to be the way that you're going to discern the truth and not. And then he goes on and says that you're going to listen to him. You're going to listen to the teachings of John. You're going to listen to the teachings of the apostles. You're going to listen to the word of God. That's the way that we're going to be able to discern the truth and know Jesus, is by listening to what is written in the scriptures. If we're a Christian, we can overcome the spirit of Antichrist however it shows up. And it's going to show up in different ways in different cultures. There's certain strong teachings in our culture, in our moment today, that we have to overcome as believers, and, and the way that we're not just floating along on the stream of culture that we live in is by looking to Jesus and looking to him as he's revealed in Scripture. That's the way that we're able to do that. Intentionally looking to Jesus and seeing how he's revealed in Scripture, and if we're not intentionally doing this, then we're, we're basically just floating along with this river of culture, this whatever our culture moment, cultural moment believes and whatever they think is how you're going to find joy, we're just basically going with that. So when we find ourselves at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ historically, when we find ourselves at odds with the, the, the central teachings of Christian Scripture, we need to step back and ask ourselves if we're just floating along with what our culture and our moment believes. It's very easy for us to look back in time and look at the way other people were kind of led along by their culture and see how foolish they were. You know, I think of an, an example like um, pastors in the South during the antebellum period who promoted slavery, who supported the Confederacy. And you think they're led along by their culture. They're allowing their culture to influence their beliefs 
They're allowing their culture to influence their theology instead of interpreting their, theo- their instead of ter- interpreting their culture through the lens of Christ and the clear teachings of Scripture. Okay, so we, we cannot get this backwards. And it's easy for us to look back at the past and see how other people are doing that. It's difficult for us to do it in our day because it's, it's where we are. It's the life that we're living. And so it's, it's important for us to make sure that we're not allowing that to happen. In John eight forty seven, we hear, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Okay? So this is Jesus talking in the Gospel of John. And so the same writer of this letter re- recorded these words of Jesus. So we obviously we see this influence of Jesus on the writings of John. And, jo- and Jesus says, if you're of God, you hear the words of God. And the reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. And so if we're believers and we have his spirit in us, then we're going to interpret the world around us, the culture around us, truth and error by God's word. And not by what we want to feel or not what makes logical, rational sense to us or not what the world around us says. In DNA, uh, in my DNA, we've been reading through um, Luke. And this past week, we talked a lot about how there was uh, this clear teaching, this over and over again, this repetition of hearing and doing the Word of God. And, and that's the other implication of this as well. It's not that we just hear, but that we do and live out the Word of God as well. Now, might be the objection, well, this is all really boring. And I checked out 20 minutes ago, and I'm thinking about what's for lunch, uh, because none of this really matters to my everyday life. There's not a whole lot of heresies out there anymore. I haven't heard a lot of people saying, oh, Jesus is just, you know, Jesus is just man, or Jesus is just just a spirit or a phantom. I don't really hear that kind of thing anymore. Um, nobody really cares about that stuff, and so why are we even talking about this? Well, first of all, because that's the next passage in John, and we just preaching straight through the book, straight through the letter. But second of all, that's only really kind of partly true because while we might not hear people described as Gnostics anymore, there might not be like these great Gnostic religious movements out there that are countering Christianity, although if you ever want to talk sometime about like Terrence Malick or, you know, Cormac McCarthy, and we can talk about Gnostic themes in those, you and me and the three other people on the internet who care about that stuff, then be happy to, to nerd out with you about Gnosticism for a minute. But while there's not a big, massive Gnostic church out there, and there's not tons of people who are promoting that idea in theology, and while we may not hear about modalists very often, even though they do exist, <coughs> T.D. Jakes, um, there are these ideas and these belief systems, there's still some of these ideas and belief systems that are influencing our culture, even if they don't go by these names. So, Gnosticism is basically just this belief that all the physical stuff here is, is something that has to be overcome, that everything physical is just bad, that, that every, everything physical is just evil and bad, and we just have to kind of overcome it all spiritually. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us. And it's easy to get kind of sucked into that kind of thinking. Or um, another kind of theology that's prevalent out there today, these different truths or these different systems, just that the world can somehow be perfected here on earth through politics or through uh, laws, certain laws. If we could just get the, the president right, or if we could just get Supreme Court justices right, or if we could just get the Constitution right, the right form of government, or the right this or that, that we could somehow have some kind of a perfect society in the world, and that our lives depend on it, and that everything depends on it. 
And we just have to have it. And yet, clearly, that's not what Scripture teaches. Not that you shouldn't care about who is in charge of those things and who was elected to those positions, but your life doesn't depend on it. And your relationship with God doesn't depend on it. And the, believe it or not, the future of the world doesn't depend on it. It doesn't. It doesn't depend on it. Scripture is very clear on that. And so we get sucked into these things and these false ways of seeing the world and these false ways of thinking sometimes, and it takes us out of who God is calling us to be in the world. It takes us out of His story. We get caught up in these little side stories, and we forget the story that God is telling in the world and what our part and our role in that big story can be. So we definitely have people who struggle with the historical reality of Jesus. People are like, oh, he's just a fairy tale. He's just a good myth that can maybe tell you some religious thinking. We also have people who, um, you know, don't even think he, maybe don't think he existed at all. There's some people on the other side who are just like, yeah, he was just a man who taught some good things, and there was some good teaching. But he definitely wasn't God. So even if we don't call it modalism or some all these little isms or whatever, those ideas are still pre- prevalent in our world today. Those ideas still are still influential in our world today. They're alive and well. And so we have to be discerning today just as much as ever. So a couple of practical takeaways. We're going to wrap this up for today. A couple of practical takeaways for us. First of all, know Christ so deeply that you can't be fooled by anything else. Know Christ so deeply that you can't be fooled by anything else. When I used to teach like worldview classes and stuff like that to, to teenagers, we would always use um, a clip from a documentary about Frank Abagnale, who was the guy in that movie Catch Me If You Can, who Leonardo DiCaprio played. And he really did become like a, he worked for the FBI afterwards, training people on how to, if you remember that movie, it's basically about a con man who could just con anybody into believing anything and ripping people off of money and counterfeiting money and all this stuff. And, and in the documentary, it basically shows how later on in his life he would go and train people how to avoid counterfeits, how to avoid counterfeits. And he, he said, you know, you can spend your entire life trying to figure out all the different ways that people can counterfeit money, but they're always going to be a step ahead of you. The way that you are able to tell a counterfeit is by knowing what a real dollar looks like inside and out without question so that if you see a counterfeit, you're just going to know it's not real. And so for us as, as Christians, you can spend your life studying every cult, every false teaching, every, and some of that stuff can be valuable, especially if you're speaking to other people from these different groups. But at the same time, there's, no, there's always going to be something new. There's always going to be some false teaching. There's always going to be some. So what we have to do is we have to spend our life knowing Christ, spend our life walking with Christ as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. And as we do that, when somebody's teaching something that doesn't line up with that, it's going to be evident to us. It's going to be clear to us. Okay, That's going to become abundantly obvious because we know the truth. We know what's real. We have the Spirit of God in us who's going to reveal Jesus to us through his word and who's going to reveal truth from error for us. And so with that, we have to know the word. We have to know the word. So practically, we have to spend time in God's word, whether that's doing Bible studies, whether that's privately reading the word on our own, Whatever the, the plan and the system is, and you can look at your life and you're like, well, I don't really read the Bible that much. I think I know enough about it. Or I get enough on Sunday morning. That's not necessarily going to be the case. We have to know the Word. Because remember, he's not talking to just pastors. He's saying that all of us are supposed to know these things and be able to discern. And third, we should listen to solid teachers. But remember that they're not going to be right about everything. Because there's a lot of solid teachers and they disagree on stuff. So we know that that's not the case. Uh, but we should listen to solid teaching and solid truth from people that we respect and know and trust. Uh, and actively listen. Don't passively listen. 
Now again, a lot of this is about intentionality. Before you're a Christian, before you have the spirit of Christ, you are just being you know, taken along by whatever the world says and whatever the world believes. But when you're a Christian, now you have the ability to be discerned. So we need to use that. Okay, We need to, to tap into that. And finally, this is not just a, some theological exercise. Okay, That's what we have to remember. Don't forget why we're doing all this stuff. This is not a, about an intellectual pursuit. Okay, This is not about some kind of a, uh, a, you know, a debate that's on a stage that's divorced from reality. Remember, the why is just so we could find joy, okay? so that our joy could be made complete. He's writing these things to people so they could find that joy and happiness that everyone's looking for. It's not wrong to pursue that joy and happiness, but it's wrong when we're pursuing it in the wrong place. And we're going to find it in Christ. And we're going to find the truth revealed in his word. So we don't forget why, because our joy and our happiness is at stake, and the joy and happiness of others around us is at stake, and our relationship with the family of God and our ability to contribute to the family of God is at stake, and our ability to contribute to the kingdom of God and to his mission and his story in the world is at stake. So it's to know Christ so that our joy may be complete, like he says in the rest of this book, so that we can love God in spirit and in truth, and we can love others as Jesus has loved us why, behind why we're going to be discerning today. And so, just to sum it up really quickly, the way that we're discerning is we see and we hear, is this teaching pointing us to Jesus? Are they glorifying Christ? something else? That's a simple test that we can look to. And then finally, we test it through the scriptures. We, is this consistent with the clear teaching of scripture or not? And we do this in faith, and the Spirit of God will help interpret these things for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we just want to thank you so much um, today for the clear testimony of Scripture. We want to thank you for Jesus, who's revealed to us in your word. Lord, apart from him, we're like a ship without sails. We're like a ship without a rudder, just adrift in a sea of whatever our culture is. Lord, with him, we have the ability to find safe harbor. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as Christians to, to pursue truth with intentionality. Not because we're wanting to beat people in a debate or because we want to feel intellectually superior to other people but because it's in knowing the truth from your word and in knowing Jesus that our hearts are filled with love and our hearts are filled with joy. And that in this great truth, the emotion and the passion and the doctrine come together. That we become people whose hearts are on fire with a love that you have loved us and we in turn love other people through that. And so Lord, I pray that that would be a reality in our life today and every day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.